Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the news and issues shaping the state. In this episode, we look at the effect of makerspaces on small businesses in Missouri. Then we will hear from a corporate event expert about how businesses can use virtual events to attract customers and networking opportunities. My name is DC Benincas, and I'm joined by my co-host Ian Laird. How are things for you this week? Anything new you're watching right now? I'm doing pretty good. Actually, I've been on a bit of a movie-watching kick over the past week. I recently watched some newer movies like Everything Everywhere All at Once and The French Dispatch. And I also went back to watch some movies from a few years ago like Dunkirk and Argo. Have you watched anything recently? I've only seen Argo, so it looks like I've got to brush up on those other movies this weekend. Yeah, I actually just rewatched The Batman with a couple friends this week, and I've got to say that Robert Pattinson Batman is growing on me. Not sure if I can necessarily get on board with that as well. I respect his acting chops, but I'm not sure I would call myself a fan of his. You want to move into our headlines for the week? Yeah, you're up first. The future of Spire's STL natural gas pipeline is uncertain after the company suffered another setback in its bid to regain the project's approval. The Supreme Court denied a hearing for Spire's appeal of a 2020 federal district court decision that revoked the pipeline's approval after the company couldn't prove the region needed the line. The court's decision now leaves the pipeline's fate in the hands of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which initially approved the 65-mile line in 2016. Spire said in a statement Monday that it is disappointed by the decision, but optimistic about the project's long-term outlook but some lawyers describe the company's last-ditch effort as unlikely to help its cause. In other energy news, Ameren opened its largest solar farm this week. The facility is about halfway between Columbia and St. Louis in Montgomery County and produces 6 megawatts of power. It won't be the company's largest solar farm for long, as Ameren recently announced an agreement to acquire a 150-megawatt solar facility in southern Illinois. The St. Louis-based utility still generates most of its power from coal, But company officials say expanding solar power generation is key in Ameren's goal of reaching net-zero carbon emissions by 2050. They say the company's renewable energy expansion is driven by the economic benefits of solar and wind projects, along with reducing greenhouse gas emissions. A Missouri House committee advanced a bill to legalize marijuana on Tuesday. The bill will now head to the House floor for debate, with just four weeks before the legislative session ends. Though the legislation isn't the only way the state could institute recreational marijuana legalization this year, the initiative petition Legal Missouri 2022 is currently collecting signatures to put a legalization proposal on the ballot. Opponents of the initiative petition argue it would give current medical marijuana businesses an unfair advantage because the ballot question includes a cap on the number of marijuana business licenses the state can give out. The proposed legislation in the House would also have a license cap, but it would allow the state to issue twice as many licenses as are issued under the state's medical program. In other state news, the Missouri House gave initial approval to a bill allowing employees to sue their employers over vaccine mandates. The legislation would allow workers required to get vaccinations for their jobs to sue if they have negative health reactions from a vaccine. The measure would apply to any employer-related vaccine, not just COVID-19 vaccines. The bill's supporters argue that employers should be held accountable for negative side effects, while critics argue that businesses should be able to mandate vaccinations without the threat of lawsuits. The bill still needs another final vote in the House before it can head to the Senate.
For our next story, we are joined by Missouri Business Alert reporter Olivia Evans, who has been reporting on makerspaces. Thank you for joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. So can you explain what makerspaces are? Of course, DC. So makerspaces are a relatively new development, really gaining steam over the last 15 years or so. Typically, entrepreneurs pay a membership into these makerspaces to join a business community and develop their company. Assistant Professor of Entrepreneurship at the University of Missouri, James Bort, says these spaces allow entrepreneurs to collaborate and help each other advance their businesses. Makerspaces are are really powerful ways to facilitate new venture ideas. You're in this really rich environment with all these other creative people, um, but they might not know how to establish a corporation or an LLC or or provide you funding. Typically, makerspaces, you pay to be a member uh, and and you join this community and you kind of build your stuff. Got it. There are many steps to translate a creative idea into an operational business, so it makes sense that new entrepreneurs could also use some help. What other advantages do makerspaces provide? They can also give marketing help to its members. To learn more about this, I spoke with Carrie Gartner, the executive director of the Loop Community Improvement District. The Loop is a collective of business and property owners along Business Loop 70 in Columbia. It created its own makerspace called Create in 2020 during the height of the pandemic. Gartner says Create offers advertising opportunities for its members. Create was part of our way to really create a shared brand among Columbia makers. People who um, may not have a lot of, you know, advertising dollars on their own, but by coming together and talking about Create Columbia, we're talking about all of these small makers. We use that when, when we... We do events for them. We use that in promotions and ads. We also created a a logo that any of our makers can use. So it's something to show that there's just this hidden economy of makers uh, right here in Columbia that, that we don't always see. I can see how a shared brand can help display businesses that don't have the money to advertise on their own. What specifically does Create offer to its members? So Create offers social media workshops, advertising, and two maker markets a year where Create members come together to set up booths to sell their products to the community. It even offers a shared kitchen space that local farmers and cooks can rent, purchase tiered memberships, and train their employees. And how much does membership cost at Create? It can cost anywhere from $100 to $1,000 a month. The Loop receives a majority of its funding from sales tax and property assessments. According to Gartner, in 2020, the businesses in the Community Improvement District made roughly $65 million in actual sales, which equates to just over $1.2 million in sales tax. That $1.2 million in funding sounds like it's vital for this makerspace. Did your reporting find any concerns about the sustainability of Create or other makerspaces going forward? Some believe makerspaces can create a sense of dependence. Bort says the support makerspaces offer can make it hard for the businesses to ever leave the safety net of these operations and become a fully self-sufficient business. And, and if you think about yeah, how, how nature works, uh, there, you need a little bit of toughness in order to survive in the world. So if, if, you're, you know, if you think about your parents or like you know, a bird or an animal or something, if they never learn to survive on their own and they're always being fed, um, you know, here's more resources, here's another state grant, here's another thing. It's possible that they'll never um, be able to self-sustain. Well, is Gardner concerned that Create could face this problem down the road? Gardner says she understands that some businesses will need to develop to where they won't need makerspaces anymore. But Gardner also says that it's okay if some businesses aren't meant to reach that point. 
we do expect people to, um, at some point, right, some people will graduate from a kitchen or any shared space. They've just gotten too big or they have a great opportunity or they've, they've got proof of concept and, and they've got a bank loan and they can move into the space. And that's a perfectly acceptable path. Then we have people who just will never do that. Like they are a small baker. Um, they don't need to um, have a bricks and mortar space. They don't need to invest in the kitchen and the hood and the oven, which is very expensive. They're they're fine doing, you know, their 30 hours a month um, making wedding cakes in the kitchen. And, and that's perfectly fine. Well, hopefully businesses can continue to use maker spaces to their advantage. Thank you so much for joining me today, Olivia. Of course, thanks for having me. For our next story, we will look at the advantages that hosting events give small businesses. Well, DC, how can they help small businesses? Their main function is to build awareness of the company. Hosting an event allows a business to showcase their products, brand, and culture to the public in an intimate setting. It also opens up networking opportunities with potential customers and business partners. We are at a really interesting time for corporate events because the pandemic forced companies to shift from in-person events to virtual ones. Are business owners still putting on virtual events as pandemic restrictions ease, or are they returning to in-person? Experts predict virtual events are here to stay. The virtual event platforms market is expected to grow over 9% through 2027, according to market research firm Valuates. Missouri Business Alert reporter Emily Hood talked with Adonica Coleman, the owner of A2D Events in Columbia, about ways businesses can decide whether to host in-person or virtual events and the benefits events offer to small businesses. Here's Emily. I'm joined by the owner of HD Events, Adonica Coleman. Adonica, thank you so much for being here. Of course, Emily, thank you for having me. How do you think events can be an effective way of marketing for small business owners compared to you know, email newsletters or social media or other marketing platforms? Events, you know, have normally been considered, that's something that larger companies do, like larger companies do events, but small companies can truly benefit from events. They can help your company in a lot of ways. They can help build brand awareness for your brand. Um, they can give you an opportunity that you might not get on a day-to-day -day basis to interact with your customers. Um, especially if you have a select group of customers that you would like to have a little more personalized one-on-one -on -one interaction with, you can get that chance through events. Uh, it definitely opens up lots of networking opportunities um, for you to bring people in, bring customers in, uh, maybe people that you're targeting as customers. Uh, it gives those networking opportunities. The data shows that people leave those events normally with a more positive attitude about your product or your service. Uh, and they're more likely to come back and uh, do some repeat business with you. Let's talk about the difference between virtual events and live events. So what are some things business owners should consider when deciding between a virtual or a live event? I think when you're choosing between a virtual and an in-person event, you need to look at the pros and cons of weigh your options. So cost for sure is going to be less, it's going to be less expensive to do a virtual event. That's just the way it goes. Um, but you do lose the opportunity for organic networking. And actually, Emily, you and I were talking about that before we went live. It's something that cannot be replaced. It can't be replaced. It doesn't matter what platform you use. It doesn't matter what they tell you on the platform. Oh, you, we have this great way you can network virtually. Yes, that's all fine and good, but it cannot replace 
those organic side conversations that pop up when you're standing face to face with somebody. So you have to take that into consideration. Could you give an example of a type of event that functions really well virtually and a type of event that functions really well in person? Let's say you have a, a product that your clients may need to be trained on or your customers may need to be trained on. Um, or it's a it could even be a product debut, you know, and so it's basically about you just getting information out. You don't necessarily need as much the one-on-one -on -one kind of personalized interaction. But if you're wanting to get some information out, if it's a training that you need to do, um, if it's a, it could be a product launch, I'd be careful about that. Some products you want to get in people's hands, uh, but if you are, let's say you're short on time, let's say you're working with an audience that's maybe not right in your area, if it's an audience that's more widespread and you have a product launch, do a virtual event because you'll get more people who will tune in and your reach can be much greater. And so that's the one thing that I say when people are at the end of kind of 2020, I know people were like, they're like, I'm zoomed out. People were tired of the whole virtual piece. But I think we have to think carefully about the advantages that virtual can bring um, because you can reach more people. Um, you will have more people who may tune in as opposed to come into your event. Let's shift a bit to that marketing side of things. That's just as crucial as getting the event planned. So make sure, you know, you have people who are coming, like you said. So what are some of the differences you would say between marketing a virtual event and marketing an in-person event? Honestly, I think you, you're going to market them the same because you want people to show up either way, right? And so I think there are so many things that you can do to really make sure that you're promoting an event well. Um, you wanna make sure that you have the right content to promote that event. So what I encourage people to do that they may not think about is all throughout the year, be snapping pictures of your business, what you do, the services you provide, just keep those in a folder somewhere because a lot of times you can go back and pull that content when it comes time to market for an event, right? So you wanna make sure that you create the content to promote the event well. Um, add the event to your email signature. Like that's a small thing that people sometimes don't think about. But if you are sending out emails every day and at the very bottom under your signature, there's a, you know, a graphic that talks about your event, click here to register. Um, you'll get more people doing that if they see that on your regular. And so it's sometimes it's a missed opportunity just add that little graphic to the bottom of your email signature. So obviously use your email lists to your advantage, you know, constant contact, all those things that people use for their business. Make sure people know about your event that way. Always make sure that there's a link where people can, if you need them to RSVP or purchase a ticket, always make sure that that link goes out in every single communication, whether that's an email or a post on Facebook or whether it's, you know, in your bio on Instagram, just always make sure that that link is very visible and easy to find. Adonica, thank you so much for being here. It's been great to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. Time to move on to our Words of the Week segment. Ian, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I've chosen silica for my word. Why did you choose that? Because a planned silica mine in St. Genevieve County is igniting some concern among residents. What is the plan for the mine? The mine from NextGen Silica will reside on 249 acres of land. It will produce the sand used in fracking, among other forms of industrial sand, which will then be transported along the Mississippi River. And what are some of the concerns that residents have expressed about the mine? There's a few. One of the main ones is that the mining could contaminate or use up the groundwater, 
which is vital for an area that is reliant on wells instead of city or county water utilities. Residents are also concerned about inhaling fine particulate matter. Other minor problems like noise and destruction of natural habitats are also on the list of worries. That's all for my word. Over to you now. What is your word of the week? I have chosen transit. What made you choose that? A ruling from a federal judge on Monday struck down the CDC mask mandate for public transit that had been extended just last week. What does this mean for masking on things like airplanes? The TSA said they will no longer be enforcing the mandate due to the judge's ruling, and in response, most major airlines and some airports, including St. Louis Lambert International Airport, dropped their mask mandates. What level of consistency are we seeing nationwide on the issue? While most major airlines aren't requiring masks on domestic flights, the enforcement for international flights varies from airline to airline. There are still some locations like New York City that will continue to enforce a mask mandate in their airports, meaning passengers will have to abide by their rules when entering the city, even if the airline they are flying with doesn't require them to wear a mask. And then locally, what are other forms of transportation like buses and the Kansas City streetcar doing? The Kansas City streetcar, the Ride KC bus system, and St. Louis Metro Transit have all said they will no longer require masks. Masks and sanitizer will still be offered to those that want to use them, and local leaders have called for people to respect the decisions of those who choose to continue wearing masks on public transportation. It will be interesting to see whether this decision is reversed in the future, but this move definitely marks a pivot away from the pandemic. Absolutely. And with that, we are going to wrap things up with our closing thought. Here's Adonica Coleman, the event planner we heard from earlier, on how she defines a successful event. The things that I look for up front, what do I want this event to accomplish, right? And if at the end of the event, I can honestly look at that checklist and say, okay, I was able to accomplish this. I was able to get in front of these people. I was able to get this messaging out. Then I'm going to call that a successful event. Not necessarily. It just, and it depends on the kind of event. Like if it's a fundraiser, obviously you have a goal, right? We want to raise $100,000. Well, if you raise 101, then you're good. Uh, But some of the things are less tangible than that, and those are just as important. So if you hit those goals, then your event was successful. Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to the M33 Project for providing the music for this episode. For my co-host, Ian Laird, assistant producers Kaylee Anagita and Christian McDonald, and editors Kelly DeRook, Jack Knowlton, James Marshall, and Wicker Perlis, I'm DC Benincasa. This has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.